did to the show yesterday. We got some good feedback. Obviously a polarizing issue anytime we talk about race. And listen, everybody that feels a certain way up to a certain extent has got a right to feel that way. Especially if it, if it is about your own individuality and how that may impact how other people look at you and view you and judge you. So I do think that when it comes to that, there's one side of the spectrum that is understanding of what the differences are in regards to people. And I'm going to continue to make this a continuous point of the show because I think it's very important. It's something that we have to go out there in a country that is so divided right now. It, I think it it's, makes a lot of sense for people to start talking about the common interests that we all have. Most of us, the majority of us, ones that aren't having fingers pointed at them or aren't pointing fingers themselves are good people. And it's a, a good country and a good group of individual citizens. And it's a time that we kind of try to band together. But you got the World Series yesterday, which we'll talk about. Um, a couple of the topics I brought up today, I think they're, they're all interesting. I mean, you did see what happened with Steph Curry last night and a performance against the Washington Wizards. Uh, almost just un, unhuman from a basketball standpoint. The guy could just put up shots from everywhere. We'll touch on that in a little bit. But I did want to give a little, you know, point of where we're at in the World Series in regards to Major League Baseball. Because I think, you know, the Red Sox sitting there with a two games to zero lead. And those that think at this point, you know, as the odds sit out there, whether they are in favor of Boston or against the uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers at this point, the Dodgers obviously, as they come home, they have to almost play perfect baseball at this point. And I don't think this is one of those things where you're going to see the momentum swing in the favor of the Los Angeles Dodgers just because they're playing games at home. But I do think if this season doesn't go the Dodgers' way, I think it's going to be worth talking about for a little little more prolonged of a period of where the Dodgers go from here. And I don't think they're in a spot where they're necessarily done. I don't think they're in a situation where their run that they've had to this point, winning the five, six straight division titles, getting to the World Series each of the last two years. I don't, I don't think we're talking about something where it's time to rebuild and flip it over and you know go the long route. But the Dodgers have invested a lot of money not just from a payroll standpoint, but also from the standpoint of developing players in the minor leagues, the amount of money that the play, the people that are involved in the front office, from Stan Kasten and Magic Johnson down to Andrew Friedman and Farhan Zaidi, and all those that are involved in making the decisions with the Los Angeles Dodgers, it's cost this organization a lot of money. And I understand you could get yourself to where you have five, six you know, division titles in a row, a couple World Series appearances. But what happens when the you know the period is, is gone on? You know, you look at Caston and Johnson, and they've owned this team for a very long period of time. And obviously, it took a while. It was a process before they finally were able to wrestle a team away from Frank McCourt. And they have not won a World Series to this point. And I understand, listen, Dodgers, year in and year out, they're a good team. If you're out in L.A., if you get a chance to see the games, if you're a Los Angeles Dodgers fan, you're excited because you know this team is going to compete. You know they're going to put the money where their mouth is 
when it comes to making the upgrades that they need to. They've done a very good job in a farm system over the past several seasons. So I don't think this is a veteran-led club. This isn't a team that's going to have to completely tear it down to a point where you know, they're going to stink for a series of years. But there's one side of it. The amount of money that they've invested in this team has worked to a certain point. But when it comes to winning a World Series championship, it has not. Now, this particular World Series, as we sit, the 100, was it, 105th, 104th Fall Classic, it's not over yet. Many teams have come back from a 2-0 deficit, but the Red Sox really look like it's their year. And I'll tell you, some of the moves that Alex Cora is making, and this is one thing that I always talk about when it comes to sports, the things that come to the forefront when you're winning are all these moves that make managers and coaches look like geniuses. And there's nothing crazy about using a starting pitcher on a relief role for a key inning later on in the game. But Alex Cora has used the, done it a lot. He's used Chris Sale. He's used Nathan Avaldi in the first two games of the World Series. He's done it with Porcello. He's done it with David Price. And it seems like every time he goes to one of his starting pitchers in the latter part of the game, it ends up working. Now, the reason that I want to bring it up, not because it's you know ridiculous science, not because it's something that's never been used by a manager or done by a manager before, but it was Alex Cora running the Boston Red Sox from the field standpoint and how much of the analytics staff, how much the front office is involved in it, I don't think we'll ever know. I don't think any team is ever going to talk about their structure and say this is the exact way that we do it. This is how we handle our decision-making process when it comes to who plays and who doesn't play and who is used and who isn't used on the field. But Alex Cora or whoever's making the decisions for the Red Sox identified a problem. They identified the problem early on in the New York Yankees series. Their relievers, the relievers that they depended on for a series of time this year, were not getting the job done. And rather than running out these same relievers, whether it's a Brazier, whether it's a Brandon Workman, whether it's whoever that is being used that isn't getting the job done, and it doesn't matter whether they got the job done before, they decided that they they had to go about it a different way. They had to maybe extend starters a little bit further than they needed to, but most importantly, use starting pitchers in the latter part of the innings to get themselves to Craig Kimbrell. So whether it's genius or not genius, obviously it looks like that because the Red Sox are winning and Alex Cora is the manager of the team that happens to be winning. It's a great job to identify that problem and do something about it. Moving on. Wanted to get into the NBA. We haven't talked a lot of basketball on this show. Uh, I teased it a little bit before. Talked about Steph Curry going off 11 three-pointers, 51 points in the victory last night over the Washington Wizards. And I tell you, no matter how many times I say Washington Wizards, I still got that feeling like I almost want to say Washington Bulls. And for anybody that's been a basketball fan since the 80s, remembers the the bullets and their success that they've had whether it was Bernard King or a lot of other people that came came through there and you know Wes Unseld you know you think of the classic players that played for that franchise for a series of time even when they were in Baltimore but uh, you know I still get that urge to almost say Washington bullets obviously their team name is changed to the Wizards and there's an understandable reason why but the Golden State Warriors, obviously the prohibitive favorites to win another NBA championship this year. And I've spoken about it. You know, you've heard Sam Flippo on with me going back and forth on game over about the NBA 
maybe not being as watchable as it was in years past. Now, when it comes to the crowds, when it comes to the ratings, I think it still does okay. You know, these individual stadiums, Madison Square Garden sold out. You got a New York Knicks team that hasn't been good in a ridiculous amount of years. So, you know, from an attendance standpoint, it's not an issue. But from a top heaviness standpoint, as far as who you think can go out there and win an NBA championship year in and year out, we pretty much know who it's going to come down to. Now, we remember years ago when he talked about Tiger Woods in his prime and him dominating the field of golf. And uh, it, you know, it's just something that's so hard to compare it to now because you don't have anybody that has that type of power when it comes to the sport of golf. But I, I do think the Golden State Warriors at this point are the closest thing to what Tiger Woods was several years ago when he was dominating the PGA Tour. You'd have money and you'd put your bet out there and it was two bets. One bet was on Tiger Woods to win any particular tournament, especially the upcoming major. And the other bet was the entire field, the other hundred or so golfers that are going to be competing in this individual tournament. Now, I think the NBA is the same thing. You got the Golden State Warriors against the field. And it's hard to judge right now because the Warriors are going to lose a game here and there. Maybe they'll lose a couple. Maybe they'll have a tough run over the course of a series of games. Maybe you'll watch some team that wasn't expected to do a whole lot or a team that was expected to compete with Golden State have a better start. Maybe it's Houston. Maybe it's you know, Denver. Maybe it's Utah. You know, We don't know how it's going to end up turning out when we talk about regular season wins. We got a feeling, if you're using conventional wisdom, that the Golden State Warriors are going to be up near the top, if not at the top, once the season ends. But when it comes to winning the NBA championship, it's the Warriors against the rest of the field. And I bet you take the same amount of money on the Warriors as you would anybody else that is competing in a National Basketball Association. So Steph Curry does what he does last night. And you hear from the response of the players, whether it's you know Beal, whether it's John Wall, they, they all seem frustrated. They all seem like they felt like once Curry started hitting his shots that they had no chance, that they weren't going to win this particular game. And, you know, game goes for the amount of minutes that it does, the 48 minutes in the National Basketball Association game. And you never know what could happen. You never know that, you know, Curry's hitting the shots. All of a sudden, he's not hitting the shots. But from a defensive standpoint, you get the sense that Bradley Beal and John Wall sense that this team was overwhelmed once Curry started hitting the shots. Now, if there's one way you're going to attack this, and I think you do at some point have to look at the Golden State Warriors and what they are, Respect the fact that it's not just it's not just Steph Curry. You know, there's Kevin Durant. You know, there is you know Tom's River Little League World Series baseball Panera. Awesome, of course they won the World Series about 20 years ago. Actually, live on the road, Route 37, where they call Little League World Champion Boulevard. So thanks for the contribution. So. It, obviously, with the Warriors, it's not just about Steph Curry. There's Durant, there's Clay Thompson, there's Draymond Green. You got the signing of Boogie Cousins, who, when he's healthy, he's going to be out there competing with them. So you know that it's not a matter of just stopping Steph Curry. You know that if you're going to double team or triple team Curry, you're going to get you're, you're going to get yourself in trouble because he's got other shooters and other contributors that can change a game. Kevin Durant's an MVP. 
you know, there's there's no doubt that the other players on the court are just as talented, if not in some cases more talented in their overall ability and way to change a game. So you know the Warriors are tough to beat as a team. But if you ever come to a point where Steph Curry is hitting shots like that, why not be in a position, once the ball is coming to him, foul him before he can get a shot off. And I understand if you're talking about a guy that's taking 35 footers, you want to you don't want to take the risk that you're going to foul him while he's in a process of shooting a three-point shot. But I do think if you sense that Steph Curry is just hitting bomb after bomb after bomb, you, you want to get to a point where you're covering him, you're following him around the court, and he may get the ball, but you want to foul him before he can throw the shot up. And I think you, you could probably put a dispute between you, you, Steph Curry, throw the referee in there, and have the referee have to make a difficult call when it comes to whether he was in a process of shooting a three or not. Because you don't want to give him three foul shots. He was 10 of 10 from the line yesterday. He's a guy that shoots his free throws very well, like most good NBA scorers do. But I wonder where the balance is. And if you are, let's say, the Washington Wizards or another team that is in a difficult spot where you're not playing good basketball and you don't really have you know, the ability to beat this team, you can't stop Steph Curry, what do you do? You just let him walk all over you. You let him take shots from 35 feet away. Because outside of anybody else that's played in a National Basketball Association in its history, Steph Curry get a shot from anywhere. There's no such thing as a bad shot as long as he's taking it. So what do you do? Do you double team him and take your chance with Durant and the other guys? Or do you try to foul him before he's in a process of a shot? Because obviously that's a risk too. If you foul him when he's in a process of Taking a three-pointer, that's three free throws. And you know he doesn't miss many free throws. And it's just another reason when we talk about the NBA, it's hard to think of what matchup could be provided that would give the Golden State Warriors something to sweat. And this is a team, obviously, they're going to have to go through the course of an 82-game season. You You know that from a competition standpoint, I think they're going to be able to pick and choose what matchups they're going to rest their players. Even if it's a big game against a big opponent, you know they can make that distinction of whether or not they want to take that game seriously or not. But it's, it's going to be tough. We know that. And it's probably the most obvious sense or word that you could ever go out there and say. You know, when it comes to Dwight Howard, I, I don't have, and once again, Baseball Panora is uh, contributing. You know, I think he'll rebound. Listen, here's a guy that has been a, a tough egg when it comes to the last couple teams that he's played for. And I look at him, and obviously you know how ridiculously talented he is. But you, you get to a certain point where you bounce from team to team to team. And I can't go nuts thinking that Dwight Howard's going to make a huge difference. But where he is right now, I think it'll give him the opportunity to kind of be under the radar. And not being trusted as that big star that's going to make the difference over whether his team wins or loses. I think Dwight Howard can help. Now, the less of a face of the franchise that he belongs to he is, I think the better chance that his play and his talent could come to the forefront. But there has been issues in regards to, uh, let's say, locker room chemistry with Dwight Howard. It's impacted him in the different places that he's gone to. So as long as that is not an issue, 
I think it helps that he is not being considered the star on a particular team that he's with. And I think that's very important to look at. But moving on, I wanted to bring up the, the uh, instance that happened in the NHL because I haven't, I haven't talked a whole lot of hockey. But I think, and there's one other thing, and I'm looking at the news today. I'm going to bring it up, but I'm going to talk a little bit about Kurt Schilling in a couple minutes. The Vegas Golden Knights, obviously, were the, the one of the greatest stories in professional sports in recent memory. You're talking about an expansion team that not only was in a position that it could, it could succeed right away, but was right on the verge of going out there and winning themselves the Stanley Cup. Something that I was rooting for, I was very passionate about, because just because it's something that I haven't seen before. And a lot, I know a lot of traditional hockey fans were against it. Obviously, you know, if you're a fan of one of the original six, you're saying, hey, how can this team just basically assemble itself, come together, and win a Stanley Cup? And you know how passionate hockey fans are when it comes to the Stanley Cup. There's no joke about that. You know, you can't talk about the Stanley Cup to a real hockey fan and not understand how serious that fan takes the Stanley Cup. Whether they're a fan of a team that wins every now and then, whether they've gotten their Stanley Cup or not, whether that team is just waiting for a long period of time and says, hey, it's been 20 years, it's been 30 years, you know, it's not coming to us. God, you know, I crave it. I understand the passion behind a hockey fan when it comes to Stanley Cup. So I understand people pissed off at the Las Vegas Golden Knights making it all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals last year. Now their defenseman, Nate Schmidt, ends up being suspended for the use of PEDs. And I tell you, it pretty much puts in perspective the thought of PEDs in professional sports. And I always said that it was a thing that fans make more of a big deal about than the actual teams do. Now, if you have a player that's involved in the use of PEDs, I think it depends on which player is ending up getting busted. If it's a star player, I would think that that particular team that that player is playing for would do everything they can to stick up for that player. Everything they can to trust the player, to believe that even though the player made a mistake, it's not an indication of what that player is about. If it's a fringe player, if it's a player that's on the borderline of making said team, you, know, you would expect the team to not be as understanding and respectful to that player, and that player may get cut. So you look at Robinson Cano. This past year with the Seattle Mariners gets busted for 80 games. Mariners obviously understand he's got to take his penalty. And you, you look at the acquisition of Denard Spann, the move of D. Gordon back to second base. Robinson Cano comes back. He's playing a little DH. He's playing a little bit of first base. Maybe it's time to transition him into the next phase of his career. But for the Seattle Mariners, he is a player that's under contract for them for an extended period of time. They can't just cut bait with him. But you look at other situations, whether it's, you know, domestic violence related, Roberto Osuna gets busted for, you know, the domestic violence issue in Toronto. The Blue Jays decide, hey, we're not going to employ this person anymore. We're not going to put this player on our team. So you understand that certain things are taken more seriously than others. But when it comes to performance enhancing drugs, I'm telling you this, it's something that while I don't think the use of it is being, is, uh, limiting itself. It's not rare cases. I do think it's running 
very close to as rampant as it was five years ago. Maybe it's less, but it's still being done. Players are still trying to find whatever substances they could use that are going to give them an advantage. Sometimes it's at the line, sometimes it's above the line, and sometimes they're just not getting caught. You know, the gamesmanship against cheating, which I always talk about. How much are you going to tow that line before you cross it? And if you're willing to tow that line, you're probably willing to cross it at some point if there is no penalty or if you got the chance that you may not get caught. So back to what I'm talking about with the uh, Golden Knights player, Nate Schmidt, gets busted for PEDs. And this pretty much shows where we're at when it comes to PEDs. He gets himself, while he's serving a suspension, a six-year, $35.7 million contract extension for the Vegas Golden Knights. Now, if you follow what has happened, if you're a hockey guy or hockey girl, and you're following the Vegas Golden Knights over the last couple months, they've extended a lot of their players. They're looking to obviously continue to build the players that they've brought in here, the players that have you know, contributed to the success that they had last year when they made it in their first season to the Stanley Cup Finals. They're looking to keep this core together. So they've been signing a series of their players over the past couple months to long-term contracts. Maybe it comes time, all right, Nate Schmidt. Maybe it would, whether he was suspended or not, this would have been something that the Vegas Golden Knights would have done. But it's almost like the organization is saying, all right, at some point you're going to come back from this PED suspension. There's no way you could erase what's happened. You've been suspended. You're serving the suspension. But you know what? As an organization, we don't care. We're going to sign you to a six-year contract and assume that one of two things. That either your use of performance-enhancing drugs is gone, or if you are making a mistake in in regards to getting caught with the use of the performance-enhancing drugs you were using, you're going to do a better job to cover it up the next time. And i got to be honest, I don't think, for the exception of the public relations standpoint, I don't think any of these professional organizations care if their players are using performance-enhancing drugs or not. Now, you... If you listen to my show, you know my thoughts. My thoughts is that sports are entertainment. Now, I understand that somebody that is using performance-enhancing drugs is making it not fair to those other athletes that are choosing, and they're choosing honestly not to use performance-enhancing drugs. So anytime somebody, an athlete, calls out other athletes that are getting busted for the use of PEDs, if they are honest, which we can't always trust, Sometimes people say it for the sake of saying it. We've heard players speak up about the use of performance-enhancing drugs, and then down the line, they get busted for using it too. You've seen every time somebody gets caught, it's always, oh, it's not what I normally do. There was a flaw in the system, or it was a supplement that there's no way should have come up. It's always some kind of excuse when somebody gets caught. Nobody has ever stood up, or very few players have stood up and said, hey, I did it, I used it. I'm, I learned my lesson, but I, I do think performance enhancing drugs in a world of sports, it's something that's not going to go away. And I think teams understand that and teams got to operate themselves as if they're a business. Now they got to understand over the course of time that these players, they're either going to use or they're not going to use. I don't think it's something that's going to be eradicated from sports. So as a business, from a business standpoint, the teams have enough understanding that this stuff's going to happen. Teams, I've, I've not seen one team in professional sports say if somebody gets busted for the use of PEDs, 
I'm going to implement an additional penalty from anything that the league does. And you got to understand that there is things that are collectively bargained. You got to understand that there are players associations that you have to deal with. But what's that organization that says, I'm going to completely stand up against the use of performance enhancing drugs in sports? Then I'm absolutely not going to tolerate it. Where's that standpoint ever been brought up? And I don't care what the sport is. I don't care what the team is. I don't care what the team's track record is. But where is that general manager or that owner saying, I'm not going to have that on my team? And from this point forward, if there's anybody that gets busted for the use of PEDs, I'm going to invoke my own set of penalties against this player. I don't want that player on my team. It doesn't happen. And you know why it doesn't happen? Because teams have gotten to a point where they understand that it's part of the game. They understand that from a competitive standpoint, that players are going to push that level, that bar, that line, and sometimes cross it. But if they're not crossing it, they're going to get pretty damn close to crossing it. So you got the Golden Knights giving Nate Schmidt a six-year contract while he's ser serving a suspension for PEDs. It's pretty much a sign that teams are over. Teams are not going to make a big deal about it anymore. Just want to throw this out there. Castrol provides maximum protection against viscosity and thermal breakdown. So last segment we're going to get into today, we're going to talk a little bit about fantasy football. And, you know, some basics, nothing going too crazy when it comes to the world of fantasy football. You know, you know the amount of leagues that exist out there, the amount of players, in other words, the amount of people that play fantasy football in multiple leagues, all different types of leagues, but mostly your standard format where you got head to head, uh, you know, total points, you know, in each matchup. Um, some prizes on the side, of course, for total points and breakdown wins and stuff like that. But I tell you, I look at the performance of players this year, and it really hasn't changed within the last two or three years. The value of running backs are very high for this reason, because that elite running back that performs at the level of, let's say, a Todd Gurley, or this year, you've seen Saquon Barkley do it. A couple others have been at that level. Le'Veon Bell has been that guy in past years, even though he's not playing right now. It's very hard to find. So if you're the team that has a Todd Gurley at this point, you know you are banking on 20, 25, 30 points every week because of what this guy is able to perform. Now we understand the game. You know, the National Football League, as it sits right now, is obviously about wide receivers. It's about quarterbacks. But you also know that you could get any one of a number of six to eight quarterbacks that could put up, you know, 25 to 35 points each week. And you can see, you see very quality quarterbacks that are on the waiver wire right now, whether it's, you know, in some cases a Case Keenum, other cases a Derek Carr or an Alex Smith. You know, those are quarterbacks that you thought for, you know, from past years put up points, you know, week in and week out. And if you had a decent fantasy football team, your team wouldn't be taking that much of a nosedive if you had one of those guys start. Now, obviously, have they been consistent? No. Derek Carr has struggled this year. He's had some big games, but he's also had some bad games. 
but a Keenum can go out there and put up a certain amount of points. And Alex Smith can go out there and put out a certain amount of points. So you understand when it comes to from the draft, you want to identify that big-time number one running back because you know there's not that many of them. You can get yourself a Todd Gurley in some way, shape, or form. You do it. David Johnson's been very good for a series of years. He's not on a very good team in Arizona right now. He's also not putting up very good numbers himself this year. So if you burned an early pick on a David Johnson, I don't I don't know how that's really working out for you. But I do think if you miss on that big running back, if you, for whatever reason, decided to draft or keep uh, Le'Veon Bell from Pittsburgh, you're probably kicking yourself right now because you probably used that pick with the thought that this was going to be your RB1. You, know, you get yourself your wide receiver, maybe one or two wide receivers, and you're sitting there with Bell. You're scrapping the, the bottom of the barrel to try to get yourself a running back, somebody that can put up a consistent amount of points. You know, you got Devonta Freeman in Atlanta, who a lot of people used as an RB1 and an RB2. He's out for the season. You know, Tevin Coleman, who in a lot of drafts came, you know, reasonably within a couple rounds of when Freeman was picked. You know, looks like a value running back now. Now, you may have taken Coleman, probably not with the thought that he was going to be your RB1 or RB2, but probably as a depth piece. And he's probably benefiting your lineup right now because you know he's going to get a lot more touches. I know Edo Smith is getting a little bit of the, the, the mileage in regards to the Atlanta Falcons backfield, but you know, you know Tevin Coleman is being treated more like an RB1. And is probably, if you use them as a backup, you probably got an extra option. You know, Derrick Henry in Tennessee has not had a good season. Think about how many people went out there and used a top pick or an RB2 selection to get themselves a Derrick Henry this year. And he has done absolutely nothing. In fact, you know, Deion Lewis, free agent signing from the New England Patriots, has outperformed them in a lot of categories. You know, Deion Lewis as a pass catcher is pretty much outperformed Derrick Henry as the feature back. So running backs are tough because, you know what, you may say that you may have that comment that, listen, their value to the National Football League is not as big as it was years ago. And I agree with that standpoint and that, that statement. But what I don't agree with, with it's value when it comes to fantasy sports. Because think about it. If you got three great wide receivers in most standard leagues, and obviously there's different categories depending on the type of league you're involved in, but you got one wide receiver spot, two wide receiver spots, that general flex spot that sits there, and you could have a wide receiver, a running back, or a tight end, you could use three great wide receivers. Three wide receivers that are putting up great numbers. Let's say hypothetically an Odell Beckham. Let's say your other you know, wide receiver is you know, Smith Schuster from Pittsburgh. And then your other one is, I don't know, I'll, I'll, I'll even make it, I'll make it good for you, Julio Jones. Let's say you got those three receivers and you know you're going to count on them to put up points week in and week out. Where are you hurting? You're probably hurting at your running back position because you're starting guys that probably are below replacement level when it comes to the points you can expect on a week-in and week-out basis. You got the running back from the New England Patriots, Sonny Michel, getting hurt. His backup, I believe the guy's name is what, Barton? If I got his name wrong, I apologize. But he's being picked up in a handful of leagues. How much can you trust him? 
if he got one of the running backs from the Green Bay Packers, whether it's Jamal Williams, whether it's Montgomery, whether it's Jones. Jones is probably your best bet, but how much on a week-in and week-out basis can you trust for any one of those three guys gracing your starting lineup? I probably wouldn't mind having one of those guys on my bench. If somebody gets hurt last minute, i got to pop somebody in. Maybe that value is better than that of what I'm going to get over the waiver wire. But none of the guys in the Green Bay Packers are really putting up good numbers. So if you're stuck with a back like that that's in your starting lineup, it doesn't matter how good your receivers are. You're going to get you know that three to six to, if you're lucky, seven or eight points from, from that running back while the other team's got Todd Gurley and Tevin Coleman and, and they're going out there putting up you know, 50, 60 points every week. So I think from a value standpoint, it's very important to make sure from fantasy football that you are drafting a running back, that you are looking for a running back first. Now, you also have to get the right running back. Le'Veon Bell, at least to this point, unless you have a very deep team, unless you somehow pulled off a trade where you picked up Le'Veon Bell from another from from another fantasy team and got him sitting on your bench right now, you know you probably whiffed when you got Bell. And you know you look at the trading deadline as it sets itself in the National Football League, and I know a lot of leagues are setting their trading deadline to be around the same time. Amari Cooper is certainly somebody that has to be spoken about. Does he rise up? Is he a wide receiver one with the Dallas Cowboys right now? You know, they got Hearns. They got Beasley. You know, they, they are in a spot where obviously they don't have a Des Bryant. So you would expect Amari Cooper to kind of go up and be a legitimate top wide receiver. The only reason I would caution, though, and I would make a little bit of a maybe – hold up before you go crazy and throw Amari Cooper into your starting lineup. Dak Prescott had Des Bryant last year. And it's not like Des Bryant, who was obviously a very highly regarded receiver, a highly drafted receiver, a first rounder. If he wasn't a first rounder, he was an early second round pick in a majority of leagues. How did that work out for you last year? Dak Prescott didn't get him the ball a lot. He didn't, you know, they didn't convert on a lot of touchdowns together. Des Bryant didn't perform very well last year, maybe because partially because he lost a step, but also I believe his relationship on the field with Dak Prescott was a big factor and was a major reason why Des Bryant didn't put up great numbers last year. So what's the cohesion going to be between Dak Prescott and with Amari Cooper? Are they going to be on the same page? Is Prescott going to be able to throw the ball downfield to Cooper? Are, are they going to be able to work on some things in regards to crossing routes and slants and outs to be able to get the ball in the hands of Amari Cooper? Are they going to use wide receiver screens? We're going to see how it works out over the course of the next couple weeks. But I don't know if I'm going nuts in regards to if I have Amari Cooper or if I've traded for Amari Cooper. And in the very few leagues that maybe somebody that's down on the Oakland Raiders looking at them and saying that team is garbage somehow decided to drop Amari Cooper and you picked him up, I don't know if I'm going nuts and want to put this guy in the starting line. I don't know if I'm going crazy with wanting to use Amari Cooper as my wide receiver one or wide receiver two, or even as a flex at this point. I would have maybe a buyer beware kind of uh, understanding that, hey, I'd want to see him perform before I inserted him in the starting line. Now, you could be in a spot where you say, I got a number of buys this week. I'm almost forced to have to start Cooper. And, and, you know, if that's the case, then do it. 
you know, pretty similar to what I was saying before. You got a running back, maybe one of the running backs from the Green Bay Packers, and, you know, let's say Jamal Williams or an Aaron Jones or even a Ty Montgomery, and you got guys that are out on buys this week, and you got to use one of them. All right, you use them. But if I'm making a decision, whether it's him or somebody else that is really proven, then I, I may go with that other player and just kind of watch what I see out of Amari Cooper over the next couple weeks with the Dallas Cowboys. Could the Cowboys be on a rise? Sure. They won a big game against Jacksonville a couple weeks ago. I think the, the refs messed up a call when it came to that field goal that could have tied the game against the Washington Redskins last week. I don't think they're done by any stretch of the imagination. You know the Giants are bad. Um, Giants-Redskins this week I think is going to be interesting for this reason. And we'll do NFL picks tomorrow. But if the Giants beat the Redskins or the Redskins are that second team that isn't real good in that division, which they haven't proven to be at this point, they're kind of in the middle. I think you look at Dallas and you look at the Eagles and you say, hey, maybe there's more of an opportunity for those teams to make a push for the playoffs. Those borderline teams in the NFC you know, may be able to jump over a Washington. So I do think the Washington Giants game is going to be significant this week. If the Redskins can beat the Giants, like six of the last seven teams have over the course of the regular season this year, then you've got to look at the Redskins as, as far as where are they. Are they a team that could push maybe for a division title in a week NFC East? Could they push for a wild card spot, you know, team five or team six? It's interesting to see how that will end up turning out. A little bit of a recap from the show today. Talked about the way you're going to stop Steph Curry and how, if you're an opponent, do you stop Steph Curry when he's going back there hitting 35-foot shots, 40-foot shots, just taking a ball from anywhere, being able to shoot it from anywhere, and just drain shots from all over the court. It's something that's transcended the sport. It's something that you really haven't seen in the NBA in its history. You haven't seen a shooter like Steph Curry. Would you dare foul him? Would you dare put yourself, if you had noticed that he's hitting shots at this ridiculous rate, have somebody there that once he makes contact with the ball, bam, hard foul, put him on the line. Well, if you're going to do that, you got to make sure that he's not in the process of shooting because you know he could catch the ball and shoot it from anywhere. So you got to make sure if you're going to foul him, foul him in a spot where he's not putting a shot up because that's three free throws and probably three points that you're giving up anyway. You got the player from the Las Vegas Golden Knights, Nate Schmidt, serving a PED suspension, but also getting a six-year contract while he's serving the suspension. I think it says a lot to where sports have gone with PEDs. The thing with Robinson Cano this year, I think the Mariners didn't really speak up that much against it. And I know when you're talking about a player that's under a long-term contract, you don't expect a team to say very much, but I really do believe that sports are entertainment. And if somebody is using a prohibitive substance, especially if they're not getting caught with it, I, I think from an entertainment standpoint, it doesn't impact what the fan is going to see. The only issue that I have are for those players that are playing the sport clean, whether we're talking about hockey, whether we're talking about football or baseball or basketball or golf or any sport for that matter. For those that have a conscience and would never do anything to put any sort of substances in their body. They maybe they're, you know, health freaks, maybe they just work on eating and going to the gym, maybe they are against the use of supplements. That person that's going to play that game fairly, it's not fair to them. But outside of that, it's entertainment. 
I think in the WWE. Yeah, you bulk these guys up, you let them look like however they choose to look like, and it's entertainment for the fans. Last thing we talked about, a little bit of fantasy football today, a little bit about, you know, sometimes you don't, you might not want to be that team in fantasy football that waited before you got your star running back. And, you know, I understand the emphasis, even though you're talking about the National Football League, a game that is so about throwing the football, so about wide receivers, so about quarterbacks. When you got that lazy running back that's only putting three or four points on a board each week in one of your running back slots, you know, you're watching other teams get themselves to the top. And you're going to find a lot of teams that are winning or a lot of teams that are on their way to the playoffs when it comes to fantasy football are probably teams that got that big-time running back. They got themselves their Gurley. They got themselves their Saquon Barkley. They got their Kareem Hunt. You know, they got their Alan Kamara, Alvin Kamara. You know, uh, you know, somebody may have taken a Dalvin Cook this year. Two years in a row he's been hurt. So that probably, you know, hurts you when you're trying to start somebody that has a lesser quality. Be back with you tomorrow. That's when we're doing our NFL picks. Um, last thing I wanted to talk about today, and I almost I almost missed it. Uh, I did want to bring up the Boston Red Sox making a decision not to bring Kurt Schilling back for their celebration of this week in the World Series. They brought back a number of players. Of course, if you're sitting there, it's the 15-year anniversary of the 2004 Boston Red Sox World Series championship. And if you want to be technical about it, it's a five-year anniversary from their last World Series championship they had in 2013. So Manny Ramirez is in there, and obviously there's some kind of disconnect between Manny and the Boston Red Sox. So you don't know if he was invited, but it was made pretty clear that Kurt Schilling was not invited. And I think that's unfortunate. And Kurt Schilling made it clear on his talk show that he, you know, he brings up and obviously, you know that he could bring up anything. He's got the ability to make some points that you may not agree with. You may not want to be in the mix to have a discussion about some of the things that Kurt Schilling says. But he was an integral part of that 2014. They don't win the World Series without him. His performance in Game 6 of the American League Championship Series was one for the ages. And you know who deserves to get to re- enjoy that or cherish and relish in those memories, the Boston Red Sox fans. And whether the Boston Red Sox like Kurt Schilling or not, whether the Boston Red Sox agree with Kurt Schilling's political views and his statements that he has made, they don't really matter in this regard. You have a chance at the World Series when you're looking to win your fourth in the last 15 years to relive what happened 15 years ago. And it wasn't just a World Series championship in 2004 for the Boston Red Sox. Anybody that's a Boston Red Sox fan, anybody that is a baseball historian, understands that the Boston Red Sox went 86 years without winning a World Series. And a lot of people understood from a fan standpoint of what the pain was. Those that were around for 1946, the only time that Ted Williams got to go, in, go to the World Series. Those that got to experience what happened in 1967 when they lost to the St. Louis Cardinals. What happened in 1975 when they lost 
a hard-fought series to the Boston to the uh, Cincinnati Reds. The Carlton Fisk game, home run off of Pat Darcy, waving it fair. 1986, Shea Stadium. Congratulations, Boston Red Sox, World Series champions. Says it in game six when they're just an out away. All the champagne is all set in the Boston Red Sox locker room. And how the wild pitch by Bob Stanley, or maybe the past ball that Rich Gedman should have caught, that allowed the Mets to tie that game. And the ball going through Bill Buckner's legs that allowed the Mets to win that game in game six. The heartbreak that exists today. 86 years, they finally won that World Series championship. And you know what? Kurt Schilling was as integral of a part of them doing that. They don't do it without Kurt Schilling. I know Ortiz was big. I know Manny Ramirez was the MVP in the World Series. And it seemed like once they passed the Yankees and came back from that three games to zero deficit, they were destined to win. But it doesn't happen without Kurt Schilling. And it doesn't matter what your personal opinion of Kurt Schilling is. He belonged on that field. He belonged at Fenway Park. At least at some point in the first two games of this World Series. You're celebrating a 15-year anniversary of something that hasn't happened from this point in 100 years. Without that, I don't know if they win in 2004. Without that, I don't know if they win in 2013. We could possibly be talking about 100 years since the last time the Boston Red Sox won the World Series. And I'm not saying it was all Kurt Schilling, but Kurt Schilling belongs back on that field. And that's a terrible job by the Boston Red Sox organization. Be back with you tomorrow. Just a reminder, this is the Past Ball Show, brought to you by JohnPLA.com. Uh, last statement we're going to make this is the famous Budweiser beer. We know of no brand produced by any other brewer that costs so much to brew and age. Our exclusive Beachwood Aging produces a taste, a smoothness, and drinkability you'll find in no beer at any cost. Be back with you tomorrow. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. God bless you, and as always, I'll see you on the other side.